Hello, I'm John Henschen, and welcome to this podcast segment titled Profitability is Drying Up for the Small Broker Dealer, and the Reasons May Surprise You. To lay some groundwork, it would be helpful to give you some details on revenue sharing between broker dealers and product vendors. On mutual funds and variable annuities, broker dealers will negotiate with vendors to earn basis points on assets or sales of the products their reps sell. Broker-dealers will typically make 1 to 10 basis points on either assets or sales of products, with the small firms making 1 to 2 basis points, while larger firms can make 8 basis points or more. Larger firms also have the ability to make these basis points on both assets and sales as they leverage their scale to obtain more. On REITs and alternative investments, broker-dealers earn between 1% and 1.5% extra in commissions on those product sales, which is called marketing reallowance. The problem for smaller broker-dealers has been as the market has shifted to ETFs, 12B1 fees and mutual fund sales that broker-dealers previously relied on for income are quickly disappearing. Mutual fund companies, variable annuity and fixed annuity companies are paying small broker-dealers substantially less and in some cases nothing in terms of revenue sharing. While larger firms can make 20 cents on a dollar of revenue, the smaller broker-dealer is only making 5 cents on the dollar. We are at a point where smaller firms are now seeing less than 5% of their top line making its way down to EBITDA, and there are two primary reasons. One, small broker-dealers making a decreasing amount of revenue from vendors, and two, operating expenses which are dramatically less for larger firms because of their scale. On the compliance front, all broker-dealers have had to spend approximately 30% more on compliance and legal staff to handle additional FinRIC requirements for supervision but these expenses are easily covered by larger firms' profits. We've seen smaller broker-dealers cut back on recruiting or operation staffing in order to fill the needed compliance positions, so smaller firms end up cutting off their growth potential or negatively impact their service to their advisors. Prior to 2017, we saw numerous broker-dealers that were reliant on alternative investments and REIT revenue, which are very profitable for the broker-dealer, but over the last two years, sales of those products have been stagnant at best. These products are also hotbeds for FINRA fines, with small firms potentially being one arbitration away from a net capital violation. When we look at size of broker-dealers, we think in terms of revenue, and currently our concern is for broker-dealers under $25 million of revenue, and a level of scale that gives broker-dealers a comfortable level would be the $100 million level of revenue. The firms under $25 million have numerous issues to overcome, largely lack of scale, difficulty in recruiting with the perception of smaller broker-dealers not being able to survive, commonplace in the minds of advisors, and also the inability to finance transition forgivable note money, declining revenue and marketing reallowance and revenue sharing arrangements with vendors, which has been accelerated by lower mutual fund, REIT, and alternative investment sales. Also, the inability to provide services that help advisors grow or operate more efficiently. And lastly, the inability to invest in cutting-edge technology, which attracts quality advisors. Another trend we see with smaller broker-dealers is they bring on advisors with multiple compliance disclosures because they want to grow, but because of their small size, they have difficulty in attracting higher quality advisors with clean compliance records. The irony here is the broker-dealers that can least afford compliance problems oftentimes end up taking the most risk on a compliance basis. These small firms can create a cycle of doom as they are in the crosshairs of FINRA for having what FINRA perceives as lots of rogue reps. 
The broker-dealer has higher E&O insurance and deductibles along with compliance policies that cater to the lowest common denominator. As the arbitration stack up, the firm's E&O insurance aggregate is used up, or if the complaints aren't covered by E&O, the firm's net capital is depleted and they could fall into a net capital violation where accounts are frozen as the firms either have to scramble for capital or find a buyer. FINRA has plans to require firms with significantly higher levels of risk due to FINRA disclosures to maintain a fund of assets in a segregated account at a bank or a clearing firm to cover unpaid FINRA fines. This additional money pool, which could otherwise be used for the benefit of advisors at the firm, will be dead money, basically, because of the higher risks the firm takes. The most alarming issue in this decline in revenue for small broker-dealers is happening during favorable markets. Combine a declining trend line in revenue with a downturn in the market, and we could see the tempo of broker-dealer sales increase dramatically. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and if you haven't heard me interviewed by Michael Kitsis, the podcast title is Switching to the Right Independent Broker-Dealer by Understanding Its Profit Centers, which you can access through www.kitsis.com slash 83. Once again, that's www.kitses.com backslash 83.